Section 6 of the Presidential Task Force on Market Mechanisms. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patrick McAfee, Merritt Island. Chapter 6. One Market. Stocks, Stock Index Futures, and Stock Options. Analysis of market behavior during the crucial days in mid-October makes clear an important conclusion. From an economic viewpoint, what have been traditionally seen as separate markets, the markets for stocks, stock index futures, and stock options, are in fact one market. Under ordinary circumstances, these marketplaces move sympathetically, linked by a number of forces. The pathology which resulted when the linkages among these market segments failed underlay the market break of October. Many mechanisms link these marketplaces. The instruments, stocks, stock index futures, and stock options are fundamentally driven by the same economic forces. The same major investment banks dominate the trading among all three segments, both in executing orders for others and for their own accounts. In addition, Many of the same institutions are responsible for a large amount of the trading in all three instruments, and particularly in stocks and index futures. Many of the trading strategies discussed in this report also serve to link these marketplaces. Index arbitrage provides a direct linkage between the stock and index futures markets. Faced with increasingly chaotic markets in October, portfolio insurers, to the extent possible, abandoned their reliance on the futures markets to execute their strategies and switched to selling stocks directly, underlining the commonality among market functioning. Another link is the routine use of the futures markets by institutions investing in index funds as a fast and low-cost entry and exit vehicle to the stock market. And, of course, a host of hedging strategies for individual stock positions employ counterbalancing purchases and sales by market makers in these marketplaces. Market makers in these markets routinely hedge their positions by trading in two markets. For example, market makers in the S&P 100 option hedge by using the S&P 500 futures contract, and some NYSE specialists also hedge their market-making activities with futures contracts. Specialists and market makers in futures and options constantly monitor up-to-the-minute prices in other markets on electronic screens. Market makers tend to carry minimal positions from day to day, providing liquidity for normal market moves, but not for the kind of abnormally large swings experienced in October 1987. Clearing procedures in the several market segments produce further intertwining. While it is not yet possible to cross-margin positions, proceeds from sales in one market segment may provide funds needed to pay for purchases in another. Fears that a clearinghouse in one market segment 
might be unable to deliver funds owed to investors can ignite concern throughout the system, as it did in October. In sum, what may appear superficially to be three separate markets for stocks, stock options, and stock index futures, in fact behaves as one market. As the data in Chapter 4 makes clear, the market's break was exacerbated by the failure of institutions employing portfolio insurance strategies to understand that the markets in which the various instruments trade are economically linked into one equity market. Portfolio insurance theory assumes that it would be infeasible to sell huge volumes of stock on the exchange in short periods of time with only a small price impact. These institutions came to believe that the futures market offered a separate haven of liquidity sufficient to allow them to liquidate huge positions over short periods of time with minimal price displacement. In October, this belief proved to be unrealistic. The futures market simply could not absorb such selling pressure without dramatic price declines. Moreover, reflecting the natural linkages among markets, the selling pressure washed across to the stock market, both through index arbitrage and direct portfolio insurance stock sales. Large amounts of selling and the demand for liquidity associated with it cannot be contained in a single market segment. It necessarily overflows into the other market segments, which are naturally linked. There are, however, natural limits to intermarket liquidity, which were made evident on October 19 and 20. Just as the failure of sellers to understand that they were trading in a single equity market exacerbated the market break, so too did the breakdown of certain structural mechanisms linking these separate market segments. Unopened stocks inhibited trading in the derivative instruments. The CME's temporary closing and the difficulties the CBOE had in opening options trading interfered with intermarket transactions. Transaction delays through the NYSE's DOT system and the subsequent decision to prohibit proprietary index arbitrage through the system also disconnected the market segments. Under normal circumstances, index arbitrage acts as one of the primary bridges between stock and futures markets. By midday, October 19, this arbitrage became difficult. First, transactions backed up in the DOT system, and then, on subsequent days, access to the system was denied to these traders. However, had the system functioned more effectively, this linkage would have been incapable of transmitting the full weight of the estimated $25 billion of selling dictated by portfolio insurance strategies. Even as direct arbitrage between stocks and futures failed, portfolio insurers provided some indirect arbitrage when they switched from selling futures 
to selling stocks. The amount of such indirect arbitrage was limited by, among other things, structural and regulatory rigidities. Many insurers were authorized to sell only futures, not stocks, for their clients, and so they continued to sell futures despite the large discount which confronted them. Many institutional stock investors are not authorized to purchase futures contracts, and therefore they could not supply buying support to the market despite the discount. Differences in margin and clearinghouse mechanisms contributed further to the failure of linkages within the single equity market. Many investors, not fully understanding margin and clearing mechanisms in futures, responded to rumors of payment failures and the reality of late payments by the CME Clearinghouse by refusing to buy in the futures market. The decisions of lenders were also influenced by concerns over inconsistencies among the several markets. The complexity of clearing massive volumes of stocks, options, and futures through separate clearinghouses caused some lenders to hesitate in extending credit. The consequent threat of financial gridlock posed the prospect of major financial system breakdown on October 20, prompting the Federal Reserve to boost investor confidence by promising to inject liquidity into the market. A number of factors ultimately contributed to the failure of the stock and futures markets to function as one market. As the markets became disengaged, a near freefall developed in both markets. Sellers put direct downward pressure on both markets. As large discounts developed between futures and stocks, those investors who could switched from selling futures to selling stocks. Those unable to switch continued to sell futures, driving these prices down further. Stock investors not authorized to purchase futures or fearful of buying them provided no offsetting buying support in the futures market. The enormous futures discounts signaled to prospective stock buyers that further declines were imminent. At one point on October 20, for example, the stock index futures price was forecasting a Dow of 1,400. This billboard effect inhibited some stock purchases. Moreover, the futures discount made stocks appear expensive, inhibiting buying support for the market. The pathology of disconnected markets fed on itself. Faced with a surfeit of sellers and a scarcity of buyers, both markets, futures and stock, were at times on October 19 and 20 nearly in freefall. The ability of the equity market to absorb the huge selling pressure to which it was subjected in mid-October depends on its liquidity. During periods of normal volume, the liquidity provided by market makers and specialists in the separate market segments is sufficient. When abnormal demands confront the equity market, 
the liquidity in each marketplace is unimportant. Specialists in the stock market and market makers in the futures market go home at the end of each day with, at most, relatively small positions. Investors must depend on the liquidity supplied by participants in the entire equity market. The ability to sell futures is linked to stock market liquidity and vice versa. The liquidity apparent during periods of normal volume provided by the activities of market makers and active traders on both sides of the market is something of an illusion. Liquidity sufficient to absorb the selling demands of a limited number of investors becomes an illusion of liquidity when confronted by massive selling, as everyone shows up on the same side of the market at once. As with people in a theater, when someone yells, FIRE! These sellers all ran for the exit in October, but it was large enough to accommodate only a few. For these sellers, it takes time to find buyers on the other side of the market. Potential buyers, such as value investors, do not operate by formula and must have adequate time to assemble data and make evaluations before they will commit to buy. Certain important conclusions should be drawn from the behavior of the markets for stocks, stock index futures, and options in mid-October. First and foremost, these apparently separate markets are, in an economic sense, one market. They are linked by instruments, participants, trading strategies, and clearing flows. Nonetheless, institutional and regulatory structures interfere with the linkages among them and hinder their smooth and efficient operation. The illusion of liquidity in the futures, options, and stock markets contrasts with the reality of the overall equity market's liquidity. The finite capacity of this single, inextricably fused system of markets to absorb major selling or buying demands. Ironically, it was this illusion of liquidity which led some similarly motivated investors, such as portfolio insurers, to adopt strategies which call for liquidity far in excess of what the market could supply. A number of failures of the one-market system contributed to the violent break of the separate market segments in October and pushed the country to the brink of the financial system's limits. It is not possible to prevent investors from being misinformed about the capabilities of markets or to prevent markets from adjusting to the demands put upon them. But it is only prudent to design mechanisms to protect investors, the market's infrastructures, the financial system, and the economy from the destructive consequence of violent market breaks. End of Section 6 Recording by Patrick McAfee, Merritt Island